Yes. We can. We started out talking about our trip to Ronnie James Dio's childhood at home. We did. We looked at that house and probably creeped out a lot of people in the probably neighborhood. because we looked like creeps. But I bet a lot of people do it. I assume so. Look, if you get the street right next to your house named after you and it's Dio Way, yeah. yeah you're going to get a lot of go. people. There's no way we are the only people that have done that. Yeah. So we took a little trip to like central Portland. New York- yeah. Portland area over the weekend and found out that Ronnie James Dio was <laughs> born and raised in Cortland, which I didn't know. Did not know that either. And then we had to make a pilgrimage to his childhood home. Because we were literally five minutes from it. Yeah. There was absolutely no reason not to. I figured it out using Google Maps nice, where nice. I was. Very sleuthy. Yeah. I'm not going to give out the address because... I'm just a nice person. I mean, also, they could also Google Maps it. You can also Google Maps it if you really want to. If you're in central New York and did not realize that this piece of rock and roll history was right in your backyard. Yeah. It's it not up. It's not actually on DOA, but it's close by. It's on the corner of DOA. I was trying not to say that, but thank you, well, I mean, I already said it. Yeah, may as well. It's fine. But yeah. It's public knowledge. Pretty much at this point, I would say so. So yeah, we went there like a f- bunch of fucking creepers in our friend's giant SUV <laughs> in the middle of a snowstorm. <laughs> they locked us out of the car. He's like, this is what you get for being creeps. <laughs> and we're like, that's fair. Yeah. But you know what? We could have been worse. Oh, yeah. We could have like walked up and been like, can we come in? Yeah, can you tell us all about this house? Because that's what Beatles fans are like. Yeah. Like I... legit. Like all of the Beatles parents are just basically like, I don't have any in. fucking idea how many people come in here being like, oh, is this Paul's house? And I have to be like, yes, Paul grew up here. I think uh, George Harrison's mom did that a no. bit, like right before they became like super huge in the US and Beatlemania became a crazy ass fucking thing. Actually, apparently, at least I think probably George's mom and Paul's dad were all were very polite about it. They would invite people in and give them tea huh. and crumpets. <laughs> And usually just distract and, like, keep them occupied while, like, their sons were trying to sneak out of the fucking house. Well, speaking of uh, John's dad, this is going to be full of rad dads today. Oh, God. Yeah. Here we go. Full of a bunch of rad dads because we're talking about John Lennon today. Welcome to Rock Candy, Mm. your weekly podcast of sweet treats of rad dads and cool moms. Cool moms and crazy childhood stories of every musician ever. Certainly, especially today. Yeah, today's we're we're hitting we're hitting it. It's, it's this is the this is right before the part of the hike where you're about to get to the top, but you have to do like that one last. But then you see it's all rock scramble like, all the way up fuck. to the top, and you're like, I didn't bring any gear for this. <laughs> I'm not prepared for this. And you're like, this is going to be really hard. There's some roots, right? I'm gonna grab for these roots. <laughs> Hope I can pull myself up. <laughs> The Lord Jesus is just going to come out of the sky and be like, let me lift you up here. <laughs> Except no, Jesus not. isn't real, so he's not going to no, do that. He's, he's laughing at you. But anyway, I'm Ashley. And I'm Maggie. So welcome. Yes, welcome indeed. It'll be a delightful discussion this oh, week. Oh, I bet. And but we have booze to keep us, um, our our palates wet. <laughs> With anticipation? I'm sure. I was going to say, instead of Jesus pulling us up, we got some sweet booze to pull us up. (laughs) That works better. (laughs) I am drinking from, what is this place? Aurora Brewing Company. Which is another word that I can never say right. Aurora. Aurora. No, it's not bad. 
It's good Just enough. like I can't say Rory. Rory. It's very difficult. I really have to think about saying it. <laughs> Aurora. <laughs> but yes, it is Nihilist with good imaginations. It's a Berliner Weiss with raspberry, lemon, and fresh ginger, which I think is fine. But I do think it would taste better if I wasn't fairly certain that the place I got it from probably had it in the freezer at one point. Definitely did. Because it's thick in a way that this shouldn't be thick and the foam is weird. Yeah. And I'm like, "Mm, I think you fucked this up. The foam was really smash mouthing it. Oh, my God. It just kept coming and it just kept coming. Oh, no. (laughs) It did, though. And But that was... The second sour, this yeah. isn't even a sour. This was the second beer that I got from that place, which name I can't remember, so I won't finger incriminate lapes. them. Fing- finger lapes. Finger lakes. <laughs> uh, tasting and tap room. Oh, I didn't want to. Well, I'm a- calling them out. They're I never mean, listening to this anyway. They're not. But also, it is a fair warning that like I think their lighter beers tend to, I don't. some of their beers might get frozen. Yeah, their cooler was real cold. Yeah, I get it. It wasn't. It was fine though. It's 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 still pretty good. I still like it. It's kind of more jammy than like beery. <laughs> it's quite tart. It's, it's still tart and here for it's it. A fresh little tart. You got you got real dark with your cider. Oh yeah, I went for abandoned cider, uh, because we're talking about a lot of abandonment issues this this episode. So Ooh-wee. yeah, Mm-mm. it's gonna be a lot. Yeah, and I would argue. I know I got nihilist with imaginations. I don't think John was a nihilist. Or maybe he was in his earlier years. I am... Maybe even in his later years had a little dusting of nihilist in his whole life philosophy. But he certainly had imagination. Sure did. He imagined all the people living life in peace. Yeah. Yeah. Thankfully, we won't get there this this episode we can discuss all that next episode but uh, oh we got a lot we got a lot to dig into don't we so much (laughs) so might as well much buckle up click click i'm here for the ride let's go (laughs) get ready for this fucking roller coaster so i read three books for these episodes so there was Imagine This by Julia Baird, who is John's younger half-sister. Got it. And it was pretty much all about, like, her experience growing up with him and a lot of, like, deep family stuff that doesn't really get discussed in detail hmm. in, other, in other publications. And also, like, her experience just being John's sister. And he was quite older than her. Yeah, like, like eight years or something. Yeah, I do remember him having a significantly younger sister. Right, because by the time their mother passes away, he was sixteen and she was eleven. Oh, dag! And she his young. youngest sister was eight. So it was good to have that perspective, and also a lot of different details that you don't see in other books. Yeah. So, yeah, it's a good perspective. And then I read John by Cynthia Lennon, who is his first wife, Mm -hmm. um, which is a really good book. But so many times I'd be reading it and I just like shake my head and like, what are you doing? Cynthia, what you doing, girl? Girl, 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 come on, girl, girl. (laughs) And then I read The Search for John Lennon, The Life, Loves and Death of a Rockstar by Leslie Ann Jones. And I and I like it. 
Mm-hmm. And I might try and find a different one for next episode. I like that she was more critical of him than other biographies because so many biographies about John Lennon are just like jerking themselves off and jerking him off and just are like stumbling over themselves to compliment how great he is. Yeah. And I don't like that. This was one of the few that wasn't boring me to death. <laughs> And wasn't just trying to stroke his ego. It was willing to look at him as a person. Right. Yeah. But I don't really like her writing style just because anytime like a situation would come up, instead of like talking through it and analyzing it, she would just slap you with a series of questions. And I'm like, I'm not here for the author to ask me questions. I'm the one with questions. I have questions that you should be answering. So, oh no, this and then she would like go through like a whole huge paragraph with just questions. Well, did he do this in response to this? Did he do this? Did he do this? Did he do this? The answer is yes. I'm like, no, that's, <laughs> that's not, not how, how you, it works. That's not how you write a book, lady. This isn't how you write a book. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know if I'm going to continue reading it, but if you can tolerate things like that, it's it's a fine book. She knows what she's talking about, right? So whatever. Anyway, anyway. Let's get into the meat and bones. Yeah. The first thing I am going to say about John Lennon was that he was a bundle of contradictions. Mm -hmm. Once you think you have this guy sorted out, his story completely changes. And there were two big parts of his personality that ran parallel to each other over his entire life. On one side, he was an attention seeker. Bold, argumentative, brash, sarcastic, and rebellious. He would do anything to get attention. He would say outrageous things and pull troublesome pranks because the attention, good or bad, fueled him. I could see that. The other side was a wounded little boy desperately searching for love. It's hard to consider this idea since John had so many strong women in his family that he was close to. And he was taken from his mother as a child and raised by an aunt and eventually taken away from his mother permanently when she died in 1958. Obviously, that equals abandonment issues. Weird. (laughs) John sought love from as many women as possible as an adult, but would always push it away for fear of being abandoned again. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We'll get into it a lot. But yeah, every time he found a woman that he really, truly, deeply loved, he did something to fuck it up. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah. John Winston Lennon was born October 9th, 1940, to Julia Stanley and Alfred Lennon, nicknamed Alf. Some people. Did he, did he like to eat cats? <laughs> did he come from a different planet? Yeah. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> it being the middle of World War II, English patriotism was at an all-time high, hence John's middle name being a tribute to Winston Churchill. Oh. There is a lot of history preceding John's birth, and it's actually worth getting into a bit because it deeply influenced John's psyche, his future relationships, and his career. Oh, shit. Okay. So we're going to get into some family business. All right. Finally. Some juicy goss. Here for the hot goss about the Lennons. Hot Lennon goss. Hot Lennon. Check it and see. (laughs) Um, Julia Stanley was brought up in what we would say was lower middle to middle class family. Okay. They struggled to make ends meet, especially with four four daughters to take care of. Woof. But they weren't destitute. Alf, on the other hand, had it rough. After his father passed away, his mother put him and his younger sister in an orphanage where he stayed until he was 15. Holy shit. 
Yeah. That's crazy. She had altogether his dad taking into consideration like stillborns and children that died shortly after birth. They had like 15 children, but only like eight of them survived and she couldn't take care of them all. You know, kids aren't like Pokemon. You don't have to you have them all. You don't. You don't. <laughs> Just don't have to have them all. Alf met Julia when the two were around 14 or 15. Despite their young age, they began flirting and courting each other around Liverpool. Ooh. Alf enlisted in the Navy and soon went out to sea. He and Julia kept up a relationship with Julia only seeing Alf during his short stints at home. They went on like this for 11 years until Julia finally proposed to Alf in 1938. All right. I got some things here. Yeah. First of all, if your entire relationship is a long distance relationship, nah, man. Nah. nah. Especially back then when like the internet and, and phones weren't a thing. Yeah. No. You don't know who this person is. Right. They and have... also, if he ain't going to propose to you, honey... Why, why are you waiting? Why are you waiting? But also... And I'm, I don't mean it like that. Like, I love a woman that proposes to, like, her wh- whomever. Right. However, I just mean in this situation, it sounds like he was never going to commit. Right. And it was very nice to be in the Navy and travel around and, you know, do his thing. Dock his ship in other ports, ports so to speak. Yeah. Thank you for finishing <laughs> that for me because I couldn't remember the word. Um. Yeah. I mean, there's there's speculation that... They were off doing their own things and would come mm. back together when he was back in the UK. All right, great. But at the same time, it's like 11 years and she didn't find anybody else. Like, Alf was it. Come on. Julia, by all accounts, was considered a very beautiful woman mm-hmm. and very, she was very effervescent. Yes. And very personable and friendly. She was very bohemian. Everybody described her as a free spirit and very artistic. She, played music she was an artist she did painting and drawing and stuff so she was a desirable lady yeah so it's just it it's hard to wrap my mind around the fact that she waited for alf yeah even there was an interview i watched with uh, paul mccartney with sean lennon actually mm-hmm. and he obviously sean never knew his grandmother and asked him some questions and he said even the short time that i knew her i could tell she was a very special woman she yeah. had an amazing personality she everyone was a loved her yeah so it's Why so are you settling for Alf? Especially because, like, <laughs> I've seen pictures of him. He's not the best looking guy. And he, apparently he had rickets when he was a kid. So he was only five foot four. It stunted his growth. So he was only five foot four. So John took after his mother. Yes. Okay. Yes. All right. Good. Good for him. Good for him. They were married without any of Julia's family at the ceremony as Ouch. they strongly opposed the marriage. I guess maybe that also has some kind of attractiveness oh, to yeah. it. Oh, yeah. But daddy, I love him. But daddy, <laughs> I want him now. <laughs> He's got a lovely structure. <laughs> but he doesn't because he had rickets. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. Mm. When Julia's father demanded proof that Alf could provide for them, Alf got a job as a bellboy on a Navy ship. And once again, he was off to sea. Don't ask me what a bellboy is. I do not know. I mean, I know what a bellboy is. At a but- hotel. But uh, I don't know Navy about a Navy ship. ship. What is he doing besides bringing suitcases on and off the ship? I assume it meant he was kind of like a gopher. He was just the kid you would go get things and like deliver things on the ship. Okay. I guess. I don't know. All right. 
During one of his stints home, Julia became pregante. Pregante? <laughs> Alf went back out to sea without even knowing she was pregnant. So by the time he came back two years later, he had a toddler. And Alf had missed the pregnancy, the birth, and the first two years of John's life. Oh my gosh, that's fucking banana cakes. Yeah. Hi, this child just popped up. He's like, what are you, the Virgin Mary? <laughs> we, we have fucked Alf. Yeah. Oh, right. Right, right. Do the math. <laughs> it's yours. <laughs> Fuck. He was back out to sea almost as soon as he'd come home to meet his son. Alf had even been sending money from his weekly Navy stipend to Julia to help take care of John, but soon enough they stopped. No way. Turns out Alf went AWOL and wasn't heard from for years. <laughs> he made up, like, I don't know if it's true or not, but he had this whole story about how, like, he got... They were in like the Mediterranean or in Africa, I think in Africa, and he got caught stealing something. So he was like kicked off the boat and then he was kind of kidnapped and then he ended up in the Mediterranean and eventually made him made his way back to the UK. I don't know, but Mm. it seemed like uh, pirates. Mm. I'm a little sus about this whole story. Yeah, it just seems wrong. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I don't know. (laughs) As a result, Julia assumed he was never coming back. She needed to make money to support herself and John, so she took a job as a barmaid at a local pub. And here, she met another man that she had an affair with. And the pregnancy came of this affair. It was a rough pregnancy, and Julia was constantly sick. So John started saying with Julia's older sister Mimi and her husband George at their home in Mendips in Liverpool. Got it. Mimi was exactly the opposite of Julia. Woof. Julia was always described as a little ahead of the times, bohemian, free spirit, friendly and easygoing. And Mimi, on the other hand, was rigid, traditional, a bit Victorian, and never, ever, ever vulgar. I feel like in this context, calling someone a bit Victorian is actually a dig. It is. She's a bit Victorian. Yeah. Like, Mm. super prude. Super prim and proper. Ugh. Um, yeah. Chil- John was expected to abide by Mimi's strict rules while he was staying with her. And this is when John's younger sister was being born. So he was like, what, seven or eight? No. Oh. No, 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 no. Oh, well. Um, he was only two or three years old. Ugh. So nine months later, Victoria Elizabeth was born. This was super scandalous because back then, no matter what bullshit your husband was pulling... A woman did not sleep with another man. Fuck that. Tisk tisk. I fucking hate it. If Stop she, it. Yeah. If she did and she ended up pregnant, she could get an abortion, but it was illegal, dangerous, and shameful. And she could give birth, but she had to be careful. Women would be sent away conveniently before she started showing and come back after the baby was born. And either the baby was given up for adoption or the family would pretend the grandmother was actually the mother. I don't like any of this. Yeah. I don't like I don't like a thing of this. Yeah. It was obvious, considering timing, that Alf was not the father of Victoria. <laughs> Maury's like, I don't even need to bring this, D- this to the DNA test. Yeah, no. <laughs> so in this case, Julia gave Victoria up for adoption. Oh. She was adopted by a Liverpudlian couple who changed the baby's name to Ingrid. That's a pretty name. It is. The husband was from Norway, so Julia assumed that they brought her to live permanently in Norway. 
But in reality, the family moved only down the road from Julia and lived there the entire time. Wait, did she not know that? She had no idea. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. That's bananas. They didn't tell her anything. I don't think she wanted to see. Yeah. Or, like, her family was like, no, you're not. You can't go and see this child because it would be so scandalous. And our family doesn't want any of that. Your family sucks. (laughs) Kind of. Like, they're super, like... They were just so fucking uptight about, you know, appearances and so annoying. This was a very difficult situation for Julia. She was dealing with the loss of a child and suffering from postpartum depression. Mm -hmm. She suffered from it after every pregnancy, but it was especially difficult here since she was forced to give away her first daughter. Right. And of course, John was confused, being only a few years old, told he can't be with his mother right now, knowing she's in pain somehow because she's crying all the time, Mm. and is confused that he can't see his baby sister he was told he'd have. But Julia continued working at the pub, and here she met another man named John Dykins, nicknamed Bobby. Julia- What? Where? At the pub. No, I mean, where do you get Bob from oh. John Dykins? I don't know. The nicknames make no sense. God, the nicknames here. I can't remember Mimi's real name, but her nickname was Mimi and it had nothing to do with her real name. Oh. Her <laughs> other sister, her other older sister, Anne, was nicknamed Nanny. And her hey. younger sister, Harriet, was nicknamed Mater. I don't know. I don't get it. All right. Sure. You know what? Fine. Hands in the air. I don't care anymore. Fine. <laughs> so why not Bobby? So why not Bobby? Why not? <laughs> Julia and Bobby fell in love, and soon enough, Bobby was calling on Julia at her parents' house on Newcastle Road in the Penny Lane district of Liverpool. Oh. Penny Lane? Gonna get it? Mm-hmm. Oh, I got that. <laughs> <laughs> it's in my eyes and yeah. in my ears, and it's everywhere. Sure. It's in a song. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sorry. Mimi caught whiff of these shenanigans and was like, nah, not in my house. Were they in her house? No. Then who cares, Mimi? Get the fuck out. She acted like it was her house. God, Mimi. Yeah. Fucking worst. To Mimi, Julia and Bobby were in a sinful relationship, and it was a situation John should not be in. Oh. oh. My pearls. Oh, my stars. Oh. Mimi and their father convinced Julia to let John stay at Mimi's until a better situation could be arranged. John's like four. He doesn't give a fuck. Yeah. He doesn't know. He's just happy to be there. Two weeks later, Alf came back. What? Just out of nowhere. He's like, I'm back. Everybody happy now? Julia, I've come back. I was kidnapped by pirates. (laughs) Pirates, Julia. Pirates. (laughs) (laughs) Totally a plausible excuse. I promise this was definitely pirates. (laughs) Sounds like an episode of Blackadder. Oh, my God. It's just, yeah, it's just fucking Rowan Atkinson's character. Playing Alf. No, he's playing Julia. And then Hugh Laurie comes in as Alf, like, I promise it was pirates. It's pirates. But Alf saw the situation and thought, hey, I have a great idea. I'm going to kidnap my own son and whisk him away to New Zealand to start a new life. Perfect. Solves everything. What? Yeah. That's not a solution. Not at all. Luckily, Julia found them at Alf's brother's house in Blackpool before he could emigrate with John to New Zealand. Holy shit. In a stroke of brilliance that totally wouldn't have a lasting impression on a five-year-old boy for the rest of his life, Alf told John 
he had to choose between his mother and his father. Come on. Which one did John want to live with for the rest Come of his life? Come on. Of course, he initially chose his father, the parent he was missing most of the time. Of course. But as soon as Julia walked out of the door in a flood of tears, John had second thoughts and chose her mo- his mother instead. Hmm. And he wouldn't see his father again for another 20 years. I'm actually surprised he saw his father at all. This time? Just like ever again. Like, yeah. This, like, this is some total rad dad territory where oh. I feel like, oh, I get why you saw him 20 years later. Oh, yeah. Like, because he was a beetle at yeah. that point. Never and he mind. had money. And now he can go around and be like, yeah, that's my son right there. This is my son. I've given birth to him. (laughs) I did all the work. (laughs) I had to be separated from him for years because pirates. I'm the one who gave him a little bit of money until he was three. And then just pirates. And then pirates happened. (laughs) I'm going to use that from now on. Why are you so late? Well, pirates happened. It was pirates. It was pirates. (laughs) (laughs) After this debacle, Bobby found an apartment for the little family, but it was a small one bedroom and all three shared the same bed. Oof. Oh, no. Yeah. Mimi lost it when she found out. She considered Julia and Bobby to be living in sin already. So the thought of the couple and little John sharing a bed was basically abuse to her. Oh, my God. For fuck's sake. Like, I just picture her being one of those crazy right-wing Christians. Yeah. Like, Will somebody think of the children? Yeah, because literally a piece of paper from the registrar's office saying that Julia and Bobby were married will make everything better? Yeah. How? Like, that's so stupid. Actually, no, it's not going to be that. It would be a marriage in a church that would make everything better. You I'm sure. better get married in the eyes of God. <laughs> She went through two social workers before she convinced a third one that John should be removed from the house. By convinced, do you mean gave her money and said, please help the computer? Or just went through as many social workers that it took to find one that was like, no, this is bad. Third third time's the charm. But also, like, third time? Like, maybe look at your life. Look at your choices, Mimi. Yeah, maybe if these two saying, no, it's fine. And maybe it's He's fine. He's with his mother, who he chose to be with. Yeah. Mimi, you're being a straight bitch. And also, like, do you really think they're fucking that much in the bed with the kid, like, in between them? Right? What is wrong with you? Well, anyway. So, John was removed and then placed with Mimi and George at their home at 251 Menlove Avenue in Mendips. Menlove Avenue? Menlove Avenue. Menlove Avenue. <laughs> In Mendips. <laughs> Men Love Avenue. In, in Men Mendips. Love Avenue, Mendips. Wait, did Mimi and George have kids? They did not have kids. Hmm. She chose early on in her life that she was not going to have children. Hmm. But that was her choice. Weird, hmm. though, how she kept feeling the need to have. To butt her fucking nose into everybody else's business about their kids. And also, like. Have John stay with her all the time. Right. She could have, like, said, oh, you have to stay with your grandparents or you got to stay with the other sister. Right. She felt the need to take this kid on herself. But I didn't want any kids. You lying bitch. (laughs) Hate Mimi. You fucking cunt. Obviously, this was devastating for both John and Julia. They'd finally been reunited and living as a family. And Mimi tears them apart again because she, she was just a pious prude. She's a street bitch. She allowed John to visit with his mother when time allowed, 
But as the years went by and Julia and Bobby continued making a family together, the visits became fewer and farther between. Hmm. By 1949, Mimi refused to allow John to see his mother. Why? Because she could. But no, like, Julia's doing exactly what she wanted her to do. She's living with this yep. dude, having a family, mm-hmm. clearly settled down. Yep. Like, what do you expect her to do? Her fucking husband went fucked off to New Zealand. Right. Why is nobody mad at Alf? Why is everyone just like, Julia, you fucking floozy, you bitch? Well, Alf's a proper man, and he can do whatever he wants. Apparently. That's just, it. like... Like, Alf tries to kidnap her son, <laughs> and they're still like, but you sleep in the same bed. No. Like, come on. I fucking hate it. I hate everything about this. How about you spend your time trying to find out where the fuck Alf is and where the fuck his money is that is not coming to support his child? Or how about you just, like, live your best fucking life as a dink? Yeah. Because you are living your best fucking life as a dink right now. And also, Bobby is doing his part. He's being a father to John and Alf isn't. Bobby is supporting Julia and John and Alf isn't. So who's more of a father right now? Alf, because biologically. Because biologically. In the name of the Lord. Because that paper from the registrar's office says, yo, Alf, you the dad. (laughs) They got Maury Povich up in here going, Alf, you are the father. And then Linda's like, or Linda, Julia's like, I told you. I told you. Where my money? I told you. And then, she, and then fucking Mimi's like, I don't like any of this. Why are we on Maury? <laughs> Who's Maury? Hi, this sounds scandalous <laughs> and vulgar. <sighs> fucking Mimi. I can't. She wasted no time trying to turn John into a small version of her. She wanted him to be a prim and proper child, only speaking when spoken to, seen and not heard. So as a teenager, of course, John is going to rebel against all the rules. Good for you, John. John grew into a troublemaker at Quarry Bank High School, pulling girls' hair, pranking teachers, and often getting sent to detention, and even wrote his own newspaper called The Daily Howl, which is apparently more like scandalous drawings (gasps) of teachers and other students and like making (laughs) fun of them and drawing pictures of weird creatures and stuff like that. I would have loved this. Yeah. I totally would have been friends with John in high school. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, this is great. Keep it up. He and his best bud, Pete Shotton, would skip school often, and sometimes they would sneak off to Julia's house for the day, which made Julia pleased as punch. Oh, she was chuffed as puffs. She was. John would secretly visit Julia and his younger half-sisters, Julia and Jackie, as often as he could without Mimi finding out. Wait a yes, minute. they're both named Julia. Okay. <laughs> both named Julia. Never never made that connection until right now. And I'm like, wait, what? Yeah, there's a weird Yo, thing about- Yo, names be so weird in this shit. They have a lot of female juniors in their family, too. All right. It's weird. Progressive? Sure. All right. These visits were especially productive as Julia began teaching her son to play music. Yay! Banjo, piano, all instruments that Julia was taught to play by her father years before. And Mimi would sit in her room like, Julia's playing music again. How dare she? I'm going to read my Bible. How sinful. I'm so scandalized. Not in my house. (laughs) (laughs) It was a wonderful way to bond with a son she rarely got to see. At 13, John was a brazen teenager. He was not taking anybody's shit anymore. 
And John started blatantly visiting his mother, Mimi be damned. Yes, good for you, John. But it wasn't enough. It was difficult to explain to other children why you live with your aunt when your mom and family live right down the street. Mm -hmm. And John was constantly reminded that he was different, which takes a toll on a kid's mental health. Mm -hmm. By the time John was 14, plans were starting to form about how he could live with Julia again. But tragedy would strike that summer. While John was in Scotland on his yearly pilgrimage to visit family, his uncle George, Mimi's husband, died abruptly from cirrhosis of the liver. What? He was only 52. But, like, how much was he drinking? It wasn't from drinking. He didn't oh, drink at all. I didn't know it you was could just like, also just have it. Yeah, it was, he, I guess they also call it a hemorrhage of the liver. Oh, So Jesus. he just had something else that they didn't know about. That's awful. Yeah. All right. This is the one and only time <laughs> that the, I'm going to feel bad for Mimi. That a non-drinker died from cirrhosis of the liver. I mean, also. that too. <laughs> yeah, this was devastating news. John loved his uncle dearly. Whereas Mimi was stern and strict, George was gentle, fun-loving, and doted on John. Oh. George was even the one who taught John to play the harmonica. Oh. He was John's only ally in the house at 251 Menlove Avenue, and now it was just John and Mimi. Oh, no. Yeah. Leave her. You know what? (laughs) Ditch her. You know what? She dug her own grave. She made her bed. She buttered her bread. (laughs) Just let her fucking deal with it. Now she has to be a sandwich. (laughs) It's time for her (laughs) to sandwich her ass up in the the bread that she buttered. Yes. By the time he was around 15, he figured out what girls and sex were. He had a confidence about him. No doubt to shield the world from his devastatingly low self-esteem. Oh. It's crazy because John's family was dominated by dynamic and strong women, but when it came to his own relationships with girls, he was a chauvinistic asshole. Yeah, th- I don't know how to psychology that. I'll, I'll get into all it right, a little right. bit cool, later cool. on. Sounds good. So yeah, he Here would, for it. He would chase girls, bed them, then play hard to get. No doubt because <laughs> he wanted to feel like someone wanted him. Okay. So like the chauvinistic thing was like... You know, just puffing your chest out, like trying to impress people, laying on that charm real thick, Mm -hmm. seeing who you can rope in. And then once you realize you have that power over them, you can do whatever you want with them. And you don't want that facade to break because you're afraid if it does, they're going to go away. Right. And also, you treat them like shit before they can treat you like shit. And then your feelings don't get hurt. Also, his dad. (laughs) Also, pirates. Also, (laughs) pirates. Pirates. It's pirates. You know what? Pirates. Fucking A, man. So, yeah, this whole thing was just an exercise in abandonment issues. Mm. You know, this is when he f- he's probably first starting to realize that he has feelings for... Feelings? Yeah. Like, feelings about his mom, feelings about girls, and... His dad was not necessarily a great idol or person to you know teach him the way on how to treat women right and And the only people that were were george who was with mimi and like and like who's gonna listen to him yeah no and bobby who i don't think he was that close because he wasn't allowed to be and he wasn't allowed to be so yeah he did in his puberty era even like as a developmental child like as like a three four five year old that those that's a very important time for you to develop those nurturing 
aspects. Right. And if there was anything that Mimi was not, <laughs> it was nurturing. Weird. No <laughs> way. Like her house was even like cold and uh, gray. I like it cold. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, like you know, he's going his idea of being a man is going to be acting like a tos- toxic masculine, you know, asshole. Defense mechanisms <laughs> up the butt. <laughs> Abandonment issues. <laughs> but by now, music had consumed his life. Good. Julia had a record player and gramophone, and John soaked up as much music as he could when visiting. At first, it was big band stuff like Len Miller and crooners like Connie Francis and Harry Belafonte. Ooh, Belafonte. Julia and Bobby were no squares. They loved Elvis, too. It was them with their record player that turned John on to rock and roll, dancing around the house to Hound Dog and Heartbreak Hotel. And soon, John discovered Buddy Holly, Chuck Berry, and the rock and rollers of the 50s. Music became what he turned to when times were rough and eventually a communication tool. Ah, yes. The prime teenage years of, I don't know how to say words. But here, I wrote lyrics to this song on the mm-hmm. back of my notebook. Yep. I hope you can relate to them. <laughs> I totally did that. <laughs> Same. But I tried to write lyrics like like Kurt Cobain and Gavin Rosdale from Bush, which made no sense. <laughs> well, then, yeah, that's exactly. That's yeah. exactly Bush's lyrics, 100%. Mm-hmm. Perfect. You did it. Yeah. You pulled it off. I am a success story. <laughs> At 16, John reinvented himself as a teddy boy. There it is. And Julia gladly fronted the bill for his new threads. Ooh. He also put up the money for John's first guitar, a Galatone Champion acoustic that cost five pounds, ten shillings. So what you're saying is Julia was a cool mom. Julia was a legit cool fucking mom. (laughs) Everyone loved Julia. Yeah. Mimi, of course quite disapproved of John pursuing music, so Julia insisted the guitar stay at her house and not at Mimi's. Hey, I thought I told you and John's like, yeah, whatever. (laughs) Cause this is my Great Britain of whatever. (laughs) Sure. That's all I got. That's all I got. Probably just as good as John's first songs. (laughs) Yeah, honestly. Look, no tea. I don't expect any teenager to write something that's gonna move mountains for me. Oh, yeah, no, not at all. I'll just be like, I'm glad that you found a creative outlet, and that's great. It's got to be, and we can dance to it. And that's all that matters. That's good enough. Yep. Soon enough, John and Pete discovered Skiffle and thought, we can do that. Yeah, they could. <laughs> <laughs> Turns out. The very first song John ever wrote was called Calypso Rock for his first group called the Blackjacks, but that was quickly changed to the Quarry Men. Oh, yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It makes me wonder why he called it Calypso Rock. Because if he was, like, so influenced by Skiffle, Calypso Rock, to me, sounds very Harry Belafonte. Yeah. So I'm I'm slightly confused, but also I guess this makes sense. There's, there's like, a merging. There's, like, a mashup in there right. that works. Right. So with the Quarrymen, he and Eric Griffiths were on guitar. Pete Shotton was on washboard. Yes, the old washboard. And Bill Smith played T-chest bass, which just reminds me of Emmett Otter's Jug Band Christmas. And oh. that's all I was thinking of when I was talking, writing about oh. the Quarrymen. Now I just want like a shirt of the Quarrymen, but all of them dressed as <laughs> Emmett Otter Jug Band people. Yes. Like that's a crossover t-shirt I'd wear. 
and it would be so fucking obscure. It's like only five people yeah. are gonna look at this shirt These and are they're gonna some get it. Deep cut references right here. <laughs> you either love the Beatles or you love Emmett Otter. Either one. Or both. In this case, I'm good with both. Same. The boys played small gigs at neighborhood parties, weddings, and basically anywhere they could get hired. Sometimes the shows were a success. Sometimes their sets were cut short because the audience hated them. Aww. It was a gamble every time. They were like, this doesn't sound like Herman's Hermits. I want out. <laughs> Where's Peter Noon? <laughs> God damn it. I want to hear about structure. I mean, daughters. <laughs> But Julia thought they were the greatest thing since sliced bread. she's a good mom. She encouraged John's musical endeavors and practically begged his band to practice at her house. Mm. She taught them popular songs to add to their repertoire and was just a straight up fan. Her encouragement meant everything to John. So the Quarrymen were doing pretty good, playing shows around Liverpool and growing a fan base. A 15-year-old Paul McCartney caught one of their shows at St. Peter's Church in Woolton, Liverpool, it was introduced to the band by their bass player. Impressed by Paul's knowledge of the guitar, which was arguably better than John's and Peter's, mm-hmm. and his deft piano playing, Paul was asked to join the group. He's like, all right, I'm impressed enough. Why don't you come join? I mean... Also, you can probably teach me how to play, <laughs> and I'd like that. And, like, at this age, like 16 or 17, um, John looked at any younger guy and was like i'm doing you a favor yeah and that's pretty much how he felt when he let george join the band eventually yeah. and he was far more accepting of paul than he was of george which is sure we've I had think, this discussion 20 yeah. times we and can I, have it another 20 and i think a lot of that was because george was better than him oh george was better than both of them yeah and that's why paul wanted him in the band mm-hmm. and that's why john didn't want him in the band he's like oh fuck if he comes in the band everyone's gonna know how bad i am exactly <laughs> like he only wanted people to come in if he could use them in some way and we'll get into this when i talk about Stu Sutcliffe. but i was gonna like, say at least none of them are Stu Sutcliffe. <laughs> oh. but i mean I mean, that was his thing he wanted a really good band but he didn't want anybody to be better than him so that's probably why he continued to insist that he be like lead on when, everything basically when i do anything in a group i'm like i want you all to be better than me because i'm garbage but what i'm good at is organizing people yeah <laughs> what i'm good at is getting people on board what i'm not good at is anything else so i need everyone else to be way more talented than me so i'm yeah. the opposite of john you're the sheepdog yeah. you're the one that corrals everybody and gets them in place and then you're like okay you know the rest you do it <laughs> pork 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 where's my treat <laughs> No, stay in line. Stay here. You hey, stay hey, here. Hey, okay. Don't cool. do that. Okay, thank you. Okay. Treat? <laughs> That'll do, pig. Yay. <laughs> I'm just babe. Oh. It was obvious that Paul was a really good songwriter, too. He was kind of showing John up left and right, and John knew it. Up until now, John had been the unquestioned leader of the Quarrymen, but he recognized Paul's talent and had to make a decision. Try to be the band's sole dictator or embrace Paul's abilities and try to be an amazing songwriting team. Mm-hmm. John chose the latter. And as we know, their songwriting partnership would become one of the most creative, productive, lucrative, and respected ones in history. True story. Good, good choice, John. Good choice. You did it. 
With Paul on board, the quarrymen started going in a different direction. Skiffle was no longer in vogue, Mm -mm. and it was all about straight-up rock and roll. As we know now, Paul introduced George Harrison to the group, and he joined in early 1958. That bloated kid. Fucking skinny bastard. (laughs) (laughs) They finally had a stable lineup for the band when tragedy would bring John's life crashing down. Yep. On Tuesday, July 5th, 1958, John's mother, Julia, was hit by a speeding car and killed. The account of this incident in Jones's book is almost contradictory to all other accounts because she said that Julia had been at Mimi's house to tell her that she and Bobby would no longer be paying for John to live there. But all other accounts say that at the time, the family had been planning for John to live with Julia and Bobby so maybe this was all part of some plan or maybe? like the next step in being like, well, we're not going to pay for him to live here. So he should just move in with us and then we will pay for him to live with us. What I, I don't recall, know. Yeah, because I recall reading in the gospel, according to the Beatles, they actually go into this and John was getting ready to move in with right. Julia and Bobby. That's what everybody was saying. And he had just seen her. Like, I can't remember if he was at her place or she was at their place, but he had just seen her. And on the way back, she got hit by the car. I think he was at Mimi's and he went to Julia and Bobby's and was hanging out with Bobby waiting for her to come back. Oh, yeah. Because I, I knew like it was it was it's like super doubly traumatic because they were like he had just seen her or was about to see her mm-hmm. and it was like he was about to move in and they really had this great relationship building up and that's just kind of all of those cherry and sprinkles on top of something that's already insanely traumatic yeah exactly but anyway julia was visiting mimi that evening and at a, around nine forty-five, she left her sister's house at the same time, John's friend and the quarryman's manager, Nigel Wally, was coming up to the house looking for John. John was already back at Julia's watching TV with Bobby mm. and waiting for his mother to come home, so Nigel escorted Julia to the bus stop before heading in the other direction. As Julia crossed Menlove Avenue, a speeding car hit her head on. Nigel heard the screeching of the tires and a loud thump, and when he turned around, he saw Julia's body flying (gasps) over the roof of the car and hitting the ground. Oh, my gosh. The car was driven by an unlicensed, uninsured, unaccompanied student driver who also happened to be an off-duty cop. Yep. There's so much. What? He, like, just started driving and was just like, no, I'm just going to drive this car in the dark, speeding on a city streets while i'm a cop and while i should I'm a abide cop. by the law yep cool 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 yeah she was probably dead when she hit the ground and was pronounced doa at the hospital having oh. been killed by extensive brain damage wow yeah. oh her death certificate says her cause of death was death by misadventure whatever that means i think we talked about that in, in, a, in a different in, episode in the beatles white album episode Maybe. Because I definitely remember having the conversation about, like, death by misadventure is a fucking terrible. Terrible thing to put on a death certificate. Because it sounds like it should be way cooler than that. Or it sounds like it's a freak accident. It's not a freak accident. The guy was fucking speeding. Yeah. Like. Also, he was charged with manslaughter. Good. Yeah. I'm sure he got off because he was a cop. But still. Fucking. Yeah. 
Mm. I'm going there. He did get off. He was acquitted. Oh, no way. Yeah. Mm. Weird. Oh, it's like cops get away with whatever they want. A <laughs> cap. <laughs> John was completely and utterly wrecked by Julia's death. He had just started building a life with her and was so close to becoming a family again, only to have it ripped out from under him. His real father is MIA, so he can't lean on his other parent for support. Mm -mm. To make matters worse, Julia's family shunned Bobby and John's half-sisters, Julia and Jackie. They were not even considered part of the family anymore because Julia and Bobby were never married, and Julia and Jackie were illegitimate. They were sent to live with Julia's sister, Harriet, and rarely, if ever, saw their father again, let alone John. Wait, why? Because they weren't part of the family. Bobby no, was never like, Bobby why? was never part of the family. Then why can't Bobby have his daughters? Because they are still kind of technically part of the family. So somebody in the family has to take care of them. But that doesn't mean anybody has to love them. Yo, fuck John's family. Yeah. It's all fucking stupid. They're fucking assholes. It's all stupid social norm rules that were in vogue in the Victorian area, era that they just can't let go of. Ugh. So Jackie and Julia had a fucking horrible childhood. Nobody even told them that their mother died. I'm sorry, what? Nobody told them. How do you not tell them your mother's dead? Literally the day after, like the day or two days after Julia died, they were just like, okay, you're going on vacation to your family's house in Edinburgh and just shoved them off to Edinburgh for two months. Oh my gosh. And then in that two months... The family had them um, deemed a ward of the court. So nobody actually even claimed guardianship over them. Ugh. They were wards of the court. Nobody told them they were wards of the court. Nobody told them that their mother died until months and months later. And I'm sure no one told Bobby where his daughters were. I think they told him, but they were like, you're not allowed to see them. Yeah, and they probably pulled some real bullshit on him. Yes. Jeez. Um, so eventually the family decided to have the two girls live with Harriet and her husband. So they went back to Liverpool, live with them, and still nobody had told them that their that her their mother died. Jesus fuck. So one morning, um, their uncle, I think his name is Norman, he woke them up like really early and brought them downstairs and was basically like your mother's dead she's in heaven and you're never gonna see her anymore so they lost their shit and were screaming and woke up everybody in the house good and harriet and her husband proceeded to have an argument in front of them over why he told them i mean and he was like somebody needs to tell them they need to know that their mother's never coming back that's Okay. It's true, but his Valid ex points execution, all around. <laughs> execution is terrible on this one. Like, but, everything here looks good on paper. Oh, did you execute this? Oh, oh no. Yeah. But, I mean, the English were never known for their, like, no. loving and gentle no. explanations and, mm -hmm. you know, coddling. <laughs> no. So, no. I can understand where they were pretty brash about this. Especially not this fucking family. Right. But... Not the way to go about any of this. Yeah. So anyway, Julia and Jackie grew up in Harriet and Norman's house. It was extremely um, cold and not loving. So it was just, it was like Mimi part two, electric boogaloo. But worse, because oh at God. least John was legitimate. These girls were not even considered part of the family. So they were just like a burden 
to everyone. I fucking hate this family. Yeah. Not a good family. I hope you all know you suck. I know you're all dead, but I hope your ghost can hear me. And literally the one that was like truly fucking awesome was killed when she was only like 42 or something. Weird. It's almost like the world is bullshit and takes all the good people and leaves the pieces of shit around. Yep. Yeah, Yeah, it does. Cool, cool. Great. (laughs) Anyway. (laughs) So John became a harder, more callous and more rebellious person. That's fair. In his mind, he had no one left to be responsible for. So why not be offensive and disruptive and cynical and arrogant? Yo, I why, get that. Why not fuck bitches, drink and smoke? <laughs> you know what? When in doubt, fuck bitches, Just drink fuck bitches. and smoke. Life sucks, fuck bitches. <laughs> he grew a massive chip on his shoulder and he that he would later recognize but right now he just didn't give a shit anymore. Nope. There's you know what? I he's getting this pass. Let him have it. He is, but at the same time, it's like at some point you gotta deal with it. Oh yeah, but like we're also in what, nineteen fifties Britain? Yeah. No. And also he didn't ever grow out of it. No. He never grew into the chip in his shoulder. <laughs> he just let the chip grow out of control for the rest of his life. You don't say. So and he let this like manifest I'm, into very unhealthy relationships yeah. as he continued in his life. So while I understand how he got this chip on his shoulder, I'm not going to be like, no, that's fine. Because it's not fine. Oh, no. I'm letting and him have not, it for right now. Yeah. And it's not entirely his fault. It's also his family's fault because they're a bunch of, bunch of dick bags. Yeah. They're a bunch of big dicks. Bunch and bunch of dick bags. Bunch of bunch of dick bags. <laughs> Right now, what John needed was a rock to stabilize himself. He found that in Cynthia Powell, a fellow art student at the Liverpool College of Art. John had just squeaked into the school, only after Mimi and a nice teacher at Quarry Banks High School intervened. John didn't give two shits about school and slacked off considerably, failing his O-level exams and not getting into any other schools. I bet. His apathy followed him to art school. Cynthia was the exact opposite of John. She was proper, quiet, shy, had her shit together. He was carefree and dangerous and chock full of charm. So, of course, the play by the rules girl is going to fall for the bad boy. Oh, yeah. But deep down, they had more in common than met the eye. Both had a parent die when they were teenagers, and John very much needed a mother figure in his life. And Cynthia became that person to him. It's like John's going to keep picking mother figures to be with for the rest of his life. I wonder why. Huh. It's almost like he has abandonment issues. Weird. (laughs) (laughs) Nah, you know what I think it is? Pirates. (laughs) (laughs) The pirates made him do it. He was abandoned by the pirates. (laughs) Jesus. Hmm. Their relationship baffled not just themselves, but their friends, too. Mm -hmm. Cynthia's mother hated him, which made him more appealing. But there was also the thrill of being a part of John's life. She was starry-eyed about everything he did and said. His personality was so compelling that she felt privileged to be a part of his inner circle. But even more than that, Cynthia wanted to fix him. Oh, I can no. fix him. No, Cynthia, you can't. This is why. Shouldn't. This is why I'm like, oh, girl, go world. You why? in danger, girl. Go world. You in danger, girl. <laughs> That's really what that song's about. Like, John's just going, girl. <laughs> danger. Danger ops. Danger ops. This whole his whole entire biography can just be called danger ops. <laughs> 
Everybody fucked up. Girl, get out of here. Oh, my God. I just can't fucking stand a person who's clearly just with people they have to fix. I'm like, yeah, but it's it's the savior thing. Like, it they is. want to be the person that fixes them, that they have to rely on. And both of them were fucked up from a parent dying. Right. But then, Cynthia, maybe you should be the savior to yourself. Oh, that's so deep. I know. <laughs> thank you thank you so much <laughs> yeah he was a broken mess since his mother's death so now it was Cynthia's job to mother him and fix his faults in return she gets to say that future rock star John Lennon is hers not enough not enough it's not worth it not, it's not worth it Cynthia <laughs> but no friendship better describes John's personality post mom death better than his friendship with Stuart Sutcliffe the new basis for the Quarrymen. Stu and John met at art school, where John fucked off most of the time, but Stu was a star artist. Stardust. <laughs> that too. John knew from the start that he could what he could get out of Stu, and that was help developing his art skills. Yeah. But there was kind of an ulterior motive here. Wait, that wasn't the alternative ulterior motive? Not, not all of it. All right. They needed a bassist. And since Stu wasn't that great at it, and Paul and George were better musicians than John, John got him in the band ostensibly to make him look good. I never made that connection. Yeah. It's I not just it that just he was because... good looking and had the look. Wow. It was because John wanted to use him to look better. Wowie wow wow. And shit John. <laughs> yeah, he was kind of a shit guy. Jesus so... Christ, John. Go to therapy. Anytime Stu fucked up, which was a lot because he didn't know how to play bass, right. John would berate him for it. And Paul was like, then why the fuck is he in our band? Yeah, why is he here? I didn't want him here. You brought him. He's got lousy structure. <laughs> he really did, Kick though. him out. No, fine. I'll see if I was and teach him how to play the bass tab. <laughs> it's easy. Let's do it. It's four fucking, it's four fucking notes. <laughs> Come here. Let me show you. <laughs> This would become a pattern in John's life. He would put others down to make him look good. Yep. He did it to everyone. Everyone. Even when he would do it jokingly, it wasn't a joke. Right. Well, like, like it wasn't a joke because he is, at his core, a scared, insanely insecure human yes. being. Yes, 100%. So while he's like, oh, I'm just having a laugh. But also, he's not just having a laugh. I need you to look bad so I can look good. Yeah. Because if I look bad, I'll never recover. Yeah. And he he would also just make fun of everybody. But towards Stu, he was especially vicious. Oh, I'm sure. Because Stu's low-hanging yeah. fruit. Right. And he was just so cuttingly mean. And I'm not saying that because I have some vendetta against John Lennon. <laughs> like, people think that I do. Like... Everything I've read, everybody has said he was cuttingly mean. Yeah. Just straight up a fucking asshole. But because he was funny and because he was charming, he could get away with it. He had a sharp tongue. Classic narcissistic personality disorder. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. Yeah. I don't know how. Revelation. Any woman could be with him for that long. Because if you are a woman that had slightly... Low self-esteem or were pretty shy, which is Cynthia, mm. 
then having somebody like that be interested in you and choose you out of all of the other women that they could have possibly had. Right. This was like jackpot. Yeah. And I know you'll get into the next episode, but like, how did Yoko put up with that shit? Yeah. Yoko, some, I read something where somebody said that Yoko was the alpha male that John needed to be reined in. Yeah. Which, from everything I've seen of her, doesn't seem right, but there must be something going on behind the scenes that I don't know about. Right. So, she just must have been a very fierce little woman that I just never saw. That's kind of actually the vibe I always got from her. Yeah. I got the vibe, don't fuck with Yoko. Yeah, because she also looked like she could fucking go nuts on you in a hot second. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Drop of a pin. Yes. John was also insanely jealous. One night at a party, someone told John that Stu and Cynthia were dancing together. Cynthia had to reassure John repeatedly that John was the one she loved. And although she seemed to ex- he seemed to accept it, the next day, he changed his mind. After following Cynthia to the bathroom, I think in her dorm room or a school building or something, mm-hmm. he waited for her to come back out and then, without saying anyth- anything... He hit her across the face and knocked her into the pipes running along the wall. Yep. Then he just turned around, walked away, and left her there. No. And that's when you... And that, Cynthia, that's it. You say... That's when you say, nope. Nope. You're done. You're done. That's it. You want to go be jealous? Go be jealous of your hand. They'll just slap me. Right. And this incident, I kind of feel like, was the Im- impetus for the song, You Can't Do That, oh. which... I haven't gotten into yet, but maybe we can get into it. Fuck it. Let's get into it. How about John's murder lyrics? John does kind of have murder lyrics. Um, You Can't Do That is a super troublesome song. Yeah. Like, I never realized how fucked up that song was. The whole song is basically John talking about how he caught his girl dancing with another guy, or not even dancing, talking to another guy. Oh. And he was like... No, you can't do that. If I catch you doing this again, I'm going to fucking hurt you. Yeah. Seriously, go read the lyrics. I cannot be blamed for what I do because I love you so much. It makes me crazy. Yeah, exactly. Yo, you want want a fucking gold star class in what not to date? Read the lyrics to you can't do that. Yeah. And if you have ever felt that way in a relationship or if you feel that way in your current relationship, the GTFO yeah. pork chop sandwich your ass out of there. The whole song is basically, I cannot be blamed for what I do when you talk to another man, even if you're just answering a question. Seriously, I'm sure I'll get into it more next episode because that's not the end of it. I, we didn't even talk about the murder shit, so <laughs> talk about that later. Okay. <sighs> so yeah. He hit Cynthia. She smacked her head on the pipes and fell. And he just left her there. So Cynthia broke things off with John after the attack. Oh, good. But three months later, they were back together. But you know what? At least, like, she didn't immediately go back. I'll take what I can get here. (laughs) Like most abusers, he said he was sorry and it would never happen again. But just please take him back. Weird. But then maybe don't hit her. That could be... That could be something you could work on. And it's something you can 100% work on. Cynthia relented and she said that he never physically harmed her again. Mm. He would still be emotionally and verbally abusive towards her and cheat on her left and right. Oh boy. But not physically. Cool. Little victories. 
I guess. <laughs> when you're dating John Lennon, it's the little things that count. At least you didn't get murdered. At least he only wrote about it. <laughs> oh. John and Cynthia had been together for almost two years when the boys went to Hamburg. He, This was his first introduction to hard drugs, preferring to use Praledin. Yeah, yeah. Basically a diet drug. Yeah. It kept um, them awake for like days on yeah, end. Amphetamines. To keep him awake for long performances. Cynthia said that John did not cheat on her while abroad, but all other accounts point to he sure fucking did. Yeah, I think they all fucked around. Pretty sure he fucking did. I'm pretty sure they all fucking did. Like, it's well documented that he fucking did. (laughs) (laughs) We all know the first stint in Hamburg turned how the first stint in Hamburg turned out. And while the boys were pretty much kicked out of Germany, John could still see their popularity grow. Of course. Mimi, however, was not impressed. No way. Mm-hmm. Like, Mimi wasn't super chuffed as puffs about her nephew, yeah. like, becoming a rock star. She wasn't jazzed. So weird. Oh, my God. <laughs> no way. When he and Cynthia visited after he got back from Germany, she erupted after seeing the new leather jacket John bought for Cynthia then threw a roast chicken at them and screamed at them to get out. What is wrong with her? No, what she's is, like, nuts. Actually, you know what? Like she was. This, this clearly all runs through the family. Like his, like all the social personality disorders clearly run through his family. Oh yes, he John is one hundred percent half Mimi and half Julia. Yeah, he's got the artistic, musical, free spirited, do whatever I want streak from and, like, Julia. When he's good. He's good. Yeah. And then he got the super rigid, you have to do what I say, no questions asked, just fucking do it side from Mimi. Yeah. He is those two women in one package. Wow. And he can't he can't find the happy medium. No. He is always one or the other. He is a very like strictly yang and yang person. Yeah. And I think he's either one or the other. I think those extremes, um, are the reason why he would lash out and be violent sometimes. Right. Like he would, when he was mad, he was mad. Mm-hmm. He was mad. Yeah. He was throwing shit and breaking things and screaming at people and like threatening to hurt them and stuff like that. Jesus. So yeah, he was a bit of both. Bit of both. Yeah. And it's just so fucking stupid that she threw a chicken at him. Yeah, why would you waste because, that chicken? first of all, I'm sure it was a quite a delicious chicken. I'll give Mimi this. She was probably a decent cook. Well, this was a chicken that they bought from like a deli or something, like a rotisserie chicken. Oh, but those are delicious. They are delicious. So like she wasted a chicken, but <laughs> she was just pissed off because, because Cynthia was wearing a new leather jacket that he bought for her, even though he had been sending money to Mimi while he was in Hamburg to help her out she was mad because he spent money on cynthia instead of sending it to her i fucking hate mimi mimi's the worst i hope she had a really slow painful death (laughs) fight me (laughs) she didn't die until like 1990 that's not even fair that she lived longer than john no she died in 1988 i think it's still not fair yeah yeah it was intensely upsetting to john that despite his successes so far, Mimi was so unimpressed and pissed off at him. Because Mimi is a bitch, <laughs> the worst. <laughs> the Beatles went back for a second and third stint in Hamburg in 1961 and 62, and big changes for John followed their return. 
Cynthia found out that she was pregnant in July 1962, to Pretty which John man. said, There's only one thing for it, Sin. We'll have to get married. No. For his part, he was committed to making a family work, even though the Beatles were about to explode. I mean, there is, there had to be a part of him that's like, I fucking want a real family. Yeah. I haven't been able to have a real family. And I forgot to put this in my note, but right before this was when Stuart Sutcliffe died. Oh, fuck. Um, But it was kind of weird because it seemed like the guys weren't as devastated as you would expect them to be. I wonder if it's because he was far away when he yeah, died. Yeah, well, I read a quote from Paul who was like, yeah, we were really upset, especially John, because he was the closest to Stu out of all of us. But at that point, Stu had been living in Germany for like a year. Yeah. Or th- I think, or at least several months, close to a year. And they had just gotten used to him not being around. But also, I feel like this is right when they're about to hit mm-hmm. Beatlemania. There's so much going on right in the first couple of years of the 60s yeah. that it's hard for them to even keep track of what the fuck's going on. Right. And I mean, for what it's worth, I'm willing to bet John's still grieving Julia. Yeah. Exactly, because she had just passed away just a few few years years before. before. Yeah, so I mean, there's, I understand that there's a lot of things, and sometimes you can have a death, I imagine, that, like, comes after, especially, like, a death that comes after your first really traumatic death. It's like you feel it, but you don't feel it to the extreme that you just felt. Right, and And it was very, very different relationships. Right. I'm so. sure they were all, tra- you know, traumatized and upset by it, but I'm. It, it was probably just they didn't have time to grieve. Yeah, and they were already pretty much the Beatles as we know it at that point because oh shit, yeah, <laughs> Paul had switched to bass and John had switched to rhythm guitar. Mm-hmm. George switched to lead. So finally, finally, <laughs> yay, George. <laughs> Um, and then Ringo joined at that point. Yeah, and Ringo was with them, so they were the Beatles at that point, and yep. Sue wasn't really part of the whole group oh no not at all yeah because once Ringo was in it that was that was like I feel like that was one of the last tipping points because once they had a good drummer they're like oh we can we can make a good record now yeah exactly Pete Best you're fine you're fine but you know but you're not a star (laughs) aw but he was best and that's what he thinks he can tell himself that because no, his last name is I, I know i'm just let me <laughs> anyway, have this anyway. <laughs> john and cynthia got married on august 23rd 1962 it's true that it was a last minute thing booked only two weeks after they decided to get married but it was truly a loving affair hmm. paul and george were there and the beatles new manager brian epstein served as best man the event happened at the Mount Pleasant Registrar office, and they celebrated at Reese's Restaurant, mirroring exactly Julia and Alf Lennon's wedding 24 years prior. Oh, hey, they had the piece of paper that Mimi wanted so bad, so it's <laughs> totally fine. Yeah, but Mimi didn't want them to get married. So she was, I take it she wasn't there. Mm-mm. Oh, no way. Nobody in Cynthia's family was there either. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ, everybody's terrible. Yeah. This kind of just makes me hate everybody's families. Except for, like, honestly, Paul, George, and Ringo had decent families. Yeah, they did. They all had good fans. They did. Poor John was the only one who's like, my family really sucks, guys. He had some shit. Brian Epstein also gave his unused flat 
on Faulkner Street in Liverpool to the newlyweds to live in as long as they needed. Aww. This kind gesture preceded a sharp demand. No one can know they're married. Nope. Since the Beatles were just about to take off, it would be severely off-putting for fans to know that one of them had an old lady at home. It was for the greater good of the band that no one knew about Cynthia or the baby she was about to birth. It's such a weird, toxic, horrible mindset, right? Yeah. Because, first of all, you shouldn't be into a band. Here I am touting my purest ways. Mm. But you shouldn't be into a band just because you're attracted to them. You should be into them because you think their music's good. Yeah. Also, like, I'm never gonna watch, like, like... I had a huge crush on Daniel Johns from Silverchair. Oh, didn't we all? But, like, I knew I was never going to marry him. Right. So, like, if you had a For the simple fact that, like, he lived in Australia. How how can we do long distance? It's only 1997. (laughs) But, like, I would never stop listening to a band who's like... Oh, no, he's married. No. First of all, and, like, second of all, like, everybody gets divorced. But it's just such a weird, you know, social construct to put on people. And then to tell, because there is a negative outcome of that, of a terror, like, every woman who dated a Beatle was treated like absolute shit. They had literal death threats. They were attacked. They were, like Maureen was accosted one night. Mm-hmm. Like Linda was absolutely panned for being an American like broad. Yeah. Divorcee. Yeah. I'm sure Patty had her own mm-hmm. levels of bullshit to deal with. Like that's it's so weird to promote that unhealthy. Like I would want to go to the girls like I'm married and it's fine. Yeah. You're not here to like I don't know. Try to marry me. You're here to listen to my fucking music. And if you're not here to listen to my fucking music, you can get the fuck out. Which it, it it's hard for me to just wrap my mind about having that level of fanaticism. Yeah. Just because I'm not like that and I've never known anybody like that. No. And I really think that if you do have that level of fanaticism, there's something wrong with you. Yeah. So to think that that many people were on that level... Yeah. Is terrifying. Right? And they had to face these people every single night of their life. Yeah. I just, I don't know how they managed that. And it's sad, too, because then you have their significant others who couldn't even go to shows to support them because... Yeah, because they would get mauled. Yeah. That's not fair. Yeah, like... You're actually doing harm to people's lives. For her almost entire pregnancy, Cynthia had to basically lock herself in the Faulkner Street flat and then it got to a point where she didn't feel safe there anymore because I guess it just wasn't that great of a neighborhood Oh, okay. and also they had like this weird sort of break in once when John was there so like these people came to the door and asked for somebody named Carol and they were like nobody named Carol lives here sorry go away yeah and then a little while later, they heard the same people break in the front door <gasps> and then came to their flat door and was like banging on it so hard they thought they were going to break it. Jesus. And they didn't go away until Cynthia screamed at them. Oh. So she didn't feel safe there. So she mm. actually ended up moving in with Mimi. Oh, my God. <laughs> if there's ever a repellent to right? keep humans away, it's right? fucking Mimi. So while she was the, during the rest of her pregnancy, she was living in Mendips with Mimi. And Jesus. mind you, Mimi 
had even before George had died, they had taken in like college students as boarders. Oh, yeah. So they would have like almost a constant rotation yep. of college boarders. Um, so once the boarders moved out of the upstairs, Mimi moved upstairs and then uh, Cynthia moved in downstairs. Jeez. She was like, it was better than the Faulkner Street flat, but it was still cold and uninviting. <laughs> You're like, I knew I wasn't going to get like physically assaulted, but wow, this yeah. still sucked. <laughs> you want to hear some real hot goss about Mimi? Ooh. So one of these boarders mm. was a 19-year-old named Michael Fishman, Fishstick, Fish something. Ooh, Michael Fishsticks. Michael Fishsticks. That's his name. <laughs> now it is. So after George died, like this guy, he was he would come back to and live in their house every year when he mm. was um, going to school. And after George died, come to find out. Mimi was having an affair with her 19-year-old student boarder. What? Michael I mean, Fishsticks. Mimi, where are your fucking registrar papers? Seriously, Can't be Mimi, doing that. You're living in sin. And oh. you're pissed off at Julia? For having a leather coat. <laughs> for Cynthia for having a leather coat. But, like, you were all... Oh, oh, yeah. No, you were yeah. You all, like, you know, up in arms pulling on your pearls because, you know... Julia, like, while my husband left me, I would like to still enjoy my life. Yeah. Weird. You hmm. fucking cunt. I hmm. hate her. I hate her. Bundle of contradictions, isn't she? Oh, my God. She is all the worst of John. She is. Jeez. <laughs> I learned it from watching you. He did. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway. Yes. Cynthia, she's pregnant. She's about to have a kid. <laughs> babies. 400 babies. <laughs> it's a wave of babies. Men love babies, avenue, whatever. I don't know. <laughs> Words. Fish sticks. <laughs> Pirates. <laughs> John Charles Julian Lennon, known by his middle name Julian, which was a play on Julia. Of course. Was born on April 8th, 1963. And like his parents' marriage, his existence was not made publicly known. Aww. John was away on tour when Julian was born in an eerily similar way that Alf was absent during John's own birth. I feel like Julian also has a terrible shit life for a good chunk of his, like, years. He was also abandoned by his father. Weird. It's like rad dad beget rad dad. <laughs> yes, exactly. It's <sighs> like, it's almost like there's a pattern with this fucking family. Maybe, like, if you're not going to be an actual good dad, don't fucking have a kid. Yeah. I mean, I... I get it. He had contractual obligations to be on tour. The Beatles were just blowing up and he had things to do. I get it. Um, But it would have been nice if he spent some time with his kid. He was there for a few hours after he was born, but oh. that was about it. Oh, wow. He had to get back on the road. I'm not even basing this off of like Julian's birth i'm basing this off from what i and i'm sure you will get into in the next episode how julian gets treated later on in his life by his ride dad yeah yeah we'll get there yeah we will the beatles were playing shows to promote please please me which was released a month before julian's birth the song love me do was blowing up the charts in the uk at this point so rabid beetle fans were already popping up everywhere 
The boys were not getting any privacy at this point, so Mm -hmm. everyone had to be extra careful. While these secrets were Brian Epstein's doing, it didn't seem like anyone was that pissed off about having to keep them. It would be other salacious rumors about John that would get him angry. Oh. He had grown quite close to Brian Epstein, the Beatles' shrewd and talented manager that helped skyrocket them to international fame. He had started out as the manager of his family's NEMS or NEMS. I'm not sure what NEMS. NEMS. I don't know. I just like saying NEMS. NEMS music store in Liverpool, where he became interested in the Beatles. He eventually met them after a show at the Cavern Club and successfully convinced them to take him on as their manager, despite never having managed a band before in his life. He had the charisma. He did have the charisma. (laughs) He proved to know what he was doing, which is why John and Cynthia trusted that not talking about their relationship was a beneficial thing. Mm. The newlyweds didn't go on a honeymoon right away, so as not to rouse suspicion, but also because Cynthia was pregnant. Yeah, like, that's not a fun honeymoon. Not at all. I wouldn't want to go on my honeymoon when I was pregnant. That's not a funny moon. (laughs) That's danger ops. That's a danger ops moon. Instead, only three weeks after Julian was born, John and Brian went on vacation to Spain. Wait. Mm Mm-hmm. Wait, John and Brian. John and Brian. Not John and Cynthia. No. John and Brian. Yeah. And then in her book, she was like, I was fine with this because... You know, I knew he needed a break and I was busy with Julian. So I just said, go ahead. And that was when I was like, Cynthia, stop it. You need to do. Get it. Do you hear yourself? She needs a sassy gay best friend. Yeah. Who's like going to be her get it girlfriend. Like, Brian Epstein should have been the sassy gay friend and he wasn't. Well, Brian Epstein was the other kind of gay friend. Yes. OK. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cynthia gave him her blessing to go feeling like John needed a break from touring. The two had a great time abroad, and John even described uh, their relationship with Brian as an almost love affair. Yeah. It was no secret that Brian Epstein was gay. It was an open secret that no one was allowed to speak of. John was the only one that was allowed at times to crack jokes about Brian's sexuality. Hey, Brian, how'd you like to suck dick? Basically. And he was. <laughs> he... All right, that's it. Not going to talk about it anymore. The thing is that John would crack jokes but they weren't funny oh no they were just they were mean they Weird. were it's like john likes to be mean so he yeah. can stay on top and they weren't just funny hahas. they were racist and they were homophobic he would call him a jew fag he would <gasps> call he suggested he call his um autobiography like queen jew or something like that oh my that. god yeah, like he would just ran around calling him the F word all the fucking time. Woof. All the time. Oh, John, come on. <laughs> but he could crack jokes about it, but to everyone else, it was off limits. I also just feel like the other three Beatles would be like, I don't think we can make those jokes. That seems wrong. Let's not do it. I don't know. I have a feeling that George probably got in on the homophobic oh I could just picture like... Like, here's a scene. You got the four Beatles, Brian Epstein. They're all in a room together. And then Brian and John walk off. And then jo- George will be like, I wonder where they're going. Oh, 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 oh. And then you're just a ball wriggle, like, oh, let's see. That's all you're getting from us. We can't, we can't make any more jokes. It's, it feels inappropriate, John, but. <laughs> so, so let's see. 
That's a real saucy joke there, John. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah. But the time they shared in Spain was John's first time hanging out with someone who was openly gay. And I think that experience, away from anyone who knew who he was, because nobody in Spain could recognize him. Right. It allowed him to indulge in his own sexuality. Mm. It wasn't necessarily an affair or even an almost affair. It was just John finally not being a chauvinistic asshole, but getting in touch with his sexuality. Right. And probably letting his guard down a little bit. Yeah. And that was probably the one and only time he ever did it. Yeah. And then he would never do it again. He and I don't know too much, but I do know he and Brian had a very close relationship. Yes. And not even, I don't even mean in a sexual manner. I do mean like they were were very good friends. friends. Yeah. Yeah. It didn't last long though. A few weeks after getting back from Spain, Paul had his 21st birthday celebrations at the Cavern Club. The club's resident MC, Bob Wooler, went over the PA and said, How is your honeymoon, John? (gasps) He was just making a joke, but John had to protect his sexuality, so he beat Bob up. (gasps) Of the incident, he said, quote, He called me a queer, so I battered his bloody ribs in. Ah. So, I'm so uncomfortable so with he all had, of this. Yeah, like Bob was literally asking him about his honeymoon with Cynthia because he didn't realize that they didn't go on a honeymoon. I don't even know that he realized Cynthia was pregnant and had a baby. I don't even know if he realized he even went anywhere with Brian. Right. Oh, my God. So he made that joke and instantly in John's head, he was like, he's calling me gay. He's calling me a queer. I'm not a queer. So he had to protect his own sexuality by beating him up. Jeez, fucking, just, uh, this uh, is the whole thing where it's like in private, John could be like a really vulnerable person. Right. And actually get in touch with, you know, his sexuality or his feminine side or whatever. Just not be an asshole. But then as soon as somebody makes any sort of vague reference to it in public, he has to puff his chest out yep. and you know slap his dick on the table and be like mm, want to talk about being a man mm, i can tell you about you. being a man i'm a man look at this look how manly this is <laughs> mm, yes <laughs> you impressed oh i'm impressed with myself <laughs> yeah oh that's awful i just feel like everybody else sitting there like was like i don't know how to handle any of this yeah mm. Brian Epstein died tragically in 1967, and it's often said that that moment sparked the end of the Beatles. Mm -hmm. They were in India with the Maharishi Mahesh Yogi's ashram at the time of his death, and the Maharishi's advice was basically, keep smiling. Fuck you. Also, I'm really impressed that you could say all that properly. (laughs) Sort of. (laughs) But, like, fuck him. He's a piece of shit. Fuck that guy. I don't like him. I don't like him. Yeah, which is why news the news reported that the band smiled when they heard that Brian died. <gasps> I didn't know that. Yeah, there was this big rumor that um oh, no. I don't know if it started then or if it started years later or even in modern times, but there was a rumor that they were all like smiling when they were told that he died. Oh no. And it's just because they were in India and the Maharishi <gasps> was like, "Oh, you sh- it's okay, you know, he's just going to get reincarnated. He's not really gone, so you should just keep smiling. Probably on drugs. Probably on a fuck ton of drugs, and that's why he was smiling. So oh. when they did, when pictures were taken, like, 
relatively soon after they were all smiling because they were told to oh (laughs) so everyone was like these callous fucking assholes my god no wonder we think that the beatles were dick bags because everybody told them to be dick bags (laughs) this fucking maharishi was telling them to be dick everyone everyone in their entire lives were like stiff upper lip fucking deal with it smile through it who cares who died do you not know how to deal with death? Hi, did your friend literally just die? Let me get in your face about it. I fucking hate everyone. I actually really feel bad for these guys right now. Yeah. I can fully understand why John the way John was the way he was. It's not excusable, but I understand it. Right. Yeah. I find, I kind of feel bad. A little bit. A little bit. I'm like 20% feel bad, 80%. You're a fucking dick. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. You fucked up a lot. It's like he was his, his uh who was his other uncle? Howard or whatever, the one who ruined his stepsister or his half Norman. Sister. No, Norman. He he uncle Normand a lot. <laughs> yeah. Like what are you doing? You, you I, on blunt paper, ass asshole. <laughs> like on paper, yes, this looks great, but you didn't execute it well, did you? Yeah. Poor execution all around Ugh. on everything. Yeah. Yeah. John thought the whole keep smiling thing was bullshit. As much as he later said his feelings about Brian's death were kind of like, oh, well, that sucks. He was deeply affected by it. Oh, I bet. After this, things began falling apart for Cynthia and for the Beatles. Mm-hmm. And that's where I'm going to end it no. for this week. I want to know. We have so much to talk about next week. Weird. You only have like, what? 13 more years of his life and yet it will be two hours there is so much there's so much and like i don't even want to talk about the beatles <laughs> like i i talked literally nothing about nothing the music about the beatles. yeah no nothing about the music because there is just so much outside of the beatles to talk about yeah i hopefully next week we'll talk a little bit about his songwriting with paul because it is important of but course man and I, I try to touch upon it a little bit in my episodes, but it is a weird balance to find where you're mm-hmm. like, I don't want to go too deep into the, too deep into the Beatles because someday we will talk about the Beatles and that will be another six parter because how the fuck is 10 years, six parts? I don't know. But here we are. Um, And I didn't bring up Brian Epstein in any of my episodes because I knew John was like the one who would take the cake with that because he had the closest relationship yeah. to him. And I think he wasn't their manager when he died, right? Like they had replaced him. They, I don't think they had yet. Or he completely. just like quit I think he or took. Something. I think he took a back seat. Yeah, to that's a lot it. of things. Um, and I don't think he was really okay with this whole like Maharishi phase that yes. they were going through. So he was kind of like, yeah, I'm just gonna step back. You guys are clearly into this. I don't like this LSD thing. I don't think, and I think this it has is something good... to do too with like them starting Apple Records, but I could probably. Be wrong. Cause, yeah, I I I honestly don't really yeah, know. I'm not gonna yeah. talk out my ass because I don't know. Right, but either way, I just I thought yeah. Either way, his death was really sad, and I knew it really affected John. Yeah, that he had a crazy life. Dude was only like 20 when he asked to be their manager. Yeah, honestly, Brian Epstein should get his own episode. Oh yeah, he I would absolutely really do it because he life. and he was one of the very 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 few people that was out mm-hmm. let alone like out and doing and successful su- and successful yeah. things like that so. in showbiz especially yeah 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 wow 
I don't know. John's a very complicated person. Extremely complicated. There's so many layers. I think he's going to get a lot worse in the next episode. <laughs> <laughs> I think his yang, yang is... No, his Yang is really going to overflow his Yang in the next one. Yeah, there's a... The next episode is just going to be like, and then he cheated on this person, and then he cheated on this person, and then he cheated on this person. And it was never his fault. Never. Amazingly, it was never his fault. All of his failed relationships, whether they be romantic or friendships, were never his fault. Yeah. And he also gets involved with some shady people. (gasps) Oh, yeah, he does. I think I've brought them up a couple times. (laughs) (laughs) So, like... I got a spoiler for you guys. His name's Harry Nelson. (laughs) Oh, my God. Harry Nilsson. Like, also? Harry Nilsson and the Apartment of Death. Like, Oof. oh my God. I actually kind of feel bad for him now. God damn it. All I, do I is don't know. feel bad now. I don't know. I can't tell if we should feel bad for Harry Nilsson or not. Maybe we can do an episode on him and decide then. Yeah, you're right. But you know who was the really, the real big catalyst for John? Hmm? The Pirates. It was all the Pirates. <laughs> the, pirates. the Pirates are the MVPs of this episode, so... <laughs> And as far as we know, Alf is still hanging with the pirates. Yeah, right. What point. the fuck ever? Ha- oh, we'll talk about Alf in the next episode. Yeah, I'm sure. we'll get into Alf. He'll come oh, back. Oh, Alf. Do we want him to come back? No. Okay. Good. Probably not. I don't think John wanted him back. John, either. can I get some money? You're real popular now. But nah, I think he was. Fuck off. I think he was probably one of the first rad dads of rock and roll. <laughs> The ones who abandoned their family for 20 years, and then as soon as the kid gets famous, he's like, oh, that's my kid. Hey, that's my kid. I have all of this shit. You want it? (laughs) Pay me a million dollars. Oh, hey, but kid, you owe me a million dollars. Oh, my God. Can we just make a hall of shame of rad dads of rock and roll? (laughs) Rad dads of rock and roll. And just, like, throw darts at them? (laughs) Fucking hate. So many pieces of shit. Anyway. Thank you guys so much for listening. Mm. We hope you guys enjoyed it. We hope you got a lot out of this. I feel like I did. We all did. We all did. And you know who else did? Who? The pirates. Oh, you know what? We don't give the pirates enough credit. (laughs) They are. They are great. And if you guys are enjoying this and maybe this is the first time you popped in, we have episodes on all the other Beatles that came right before this. So you can check it out on our website, rockcandypodcast.com. And also... You can get links to our social medias. We got Instagram and we got Twitter and we got Facebook. Hit us up on those and we'll talk to you. We post funny videos or we post funny photos. We don't really do videos. We post a lot of we do, shit. We'll do stuff. We're trying to get better at social media. We downloaded TikTok. We're getting there. We looked at it. We're going to work <laughs> on a Twitch maybe. We're going to keep looking at it. Guys, we're trying. We're working real hard at it. And also, if you want to give us some money or you want to give us some beer money or, you know, just be like, hey, you deserve this gold star. Ooh, you can go to our Patreon at patreon.com slash podcast and you can give us some money and we will give you some swag and bonus episodes in return. Indeed. So and also we have merch. Go buy your merch. Yeah, we got some merch. I'm wearing some merch right now. That's it. T public. T-Public, Rock Candy Podcast. Got hoodies, got t-shirts, got some masks. Yeah, you can find a link to that in our Instagram. And also on our website. I forgot that's on our website, oh, too. Oh, there you go. Look at me. But yeah. All right. That sounds great. That sounds good. I think we, we rounded up for this week. Come back next week for the finale of Mr. John Lennon. Yeah. 
and the finale of our series on the Beatles. I know. It's been a journey. I'm sad to see it go. I know, right? I feel like we've become friends with them. We have. How dare they get married? I've... I was going to marry all of them. <laughs> oh. I'm starting up Beatlemania again. All right. Time for Beatlemania. Let's make There's it happen. There's only two of them left. I got to marry one of them. I'd marry Ringo. Aw, that's nice. Always. Wow. What do you mean that's nice? Also, I forgot to mention this. this is, I sh- we should have opened with this cute little story. Yeah. But at first, Cynthia thought that Ringo hated her. Aww. Because... John invited him over to their house once and she cooked a like chicken curry or something <gasps> nope. and she didn't realize he had health no problems stomach. and he can't <laughs> eat things and he was like no I don't want it and then ignored her the rest of the night she's like he hated me <laughs> oh no Ringo just he has no stomach he, he just couldn't eat it and she didn't realize that until later all he wants for dinner is bread and butter yeah there and also she and John would eat that same dinner all the time yeah. because she couldn't cook and neither could he. So that was the easiest thing. Oh. They would put bananas on it. <laughs> Disgusting. Why? Disgusting. Whoa. Why would you do that? No. Nope. All right. With that note, I'm leaving. Bye. And all we're right. done. And we're done now. <laughs> all right. Until next week, party on, Ashley. Party on, Maggie. Party on, you crazy kids out there. Pirates. Pirates! You don't do that, though. You can't do that? You don't do that. She can't do that. Don't do it! <laughs>